How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome to another episode of Hawaii Football Final here at KHON2.com and anywhere you download podcasts. I'm your host, Rob DeMello. Joining me in just a bit will be former University of Hawaii player and coach, 11-year NFL veteran, Spectrum Sports Analyst Rich Miano, along with former Rainbow Warrior offensive lineman, 2016 Ben Yee Award winner, R.J. Hollis. For this past Saturday, the Rainbow Warriors secured victory number one of the 2023 season with a hard-fought 31-20 win over the University of Albany. For despite throwing three interceptions and giving up five sacks, along with 100 yards and penalties, four Braden Shager touchdown passes, and the first two forced turnovers by the UH defense led the home team into the win column, improving the one and two on the season. Now, we got plenty to talk about, but before I bring in the Bradas, let's hear from Rainbow Warrior head coach Timmy Chang after getting that elusive first dub of the 2023 season. We'll go back to the film. This is this is good film for them. You know, um, you know, even even as a win, you know, those guys, I mean, I got guys in the locker room crying because they can play better. Um, and so, you know, they, they're starting to feel it and, and they're starting to understand the magnitude of, of how they play and what that means for us. And so um, and that and that's, you know, even though it hurts for them, um, there's going to be growth that comes out of it. You, you win a game like this. There's so much teachable moments in a win that you can have from this thing. And so. We feel we got to have the mentality, and, and and you know the guys from last year. We keep talking about these guys from last year that that set the set the tone. These guys taking over, these guys coming together, sometimes playing for the first time. You know, it, it's an opportunity for them to learn and grow, and um, and and they'll get better from it. All right, now I want to welcome to the show Rich Miano, R.J. Hollis, and guys. My voice is a little better. It's still not 100%, but but we're much better than we were last week. So much mahalo to everybody that's, uh, that tuned in last week and returned for another episode of Hawaii Football Final. But in the record book, this game is going to go as an 11-point victory. But the memories of this Saturday night win for the University of Hawaii will be anxiety-filled as the Rainbow Warriors continue to be mistake-prone as mentioned, over 100 yards of penalties in this game and consistently losing the battle of the line of scrimmage. First things first, biggest takeaway from this victory, Rich Miano, the first victory of the season for the Rainbow Warriors. Yeah, I, I try to continue to emphasize, emphasize how hard it is to win, even against an FCS opponent. I mean, Hawaii has struggled to win. Uh, they're struggling to build their talent levels up. They're struggling to implement you know a new run and shoot football scheme um so it, it's gotta feel good just to get the w because at the end of the year they're not going to say you know it was only by this amount of points over an fcs team it, it basically you know timmy chang the staff the players everybody associated with that program deserves a victory and so it had to feel good also knowing you made a plethora of mistakes. You were extremely undisciplined. I mean, eight penalties in the first half alone. Um, you turned the ball over a bunch of times. You did not win the battle of at least the offensive line of scrimmage. Um, just in, continued to make uh, too many mistakes to be considered a good football team. And that has to be a concern going not only into Oregon or New Mexico State, but more importantly, the Mountain West Conference. Yeah, you mentioned it, Richard. A win is a win. And uh, I'm old enough to remember that there was a time where Hawaii would not consistently beat FCS teams. I remember being an intermediate in, in high school and watching UH lose to Northeast Louisiana and Arkansas State. Um, obviously, uh, we talked about it on the Spectrum Sports broadcast on Saturday. There's now 20 straight victories for the program over FCS opponents dating back to 2001. RJ, you were uh, on a team that uh, got very close to losing to an FCS opponent in Tennessee Martin your senior year. And so you fully understand that a win is a win. And at the end of the day, when people talk about 2016 and going back to a bowl game in that year, no one remembers all these year, years later that there was an ugly win over an FCS opponent. Uh, but RJ, uh, your biggest takeaway uh, from bouncing off of what Rich said is, is getting that victory for the University of Hawaii. Uh, yeah, that that's a huge uh, monkey off the back for, you know, Timmy Chang and a lot of those guys. Uh, just being able to finally be rewarded with the victory. Um, 
I think my biggest takeaway, though, however, is that we still haven't got the identity of this team, and we definitely haven't seen the best version of this team. Um, a lot of penalties, another 100-yard-plus penalty game, uh, a lot of mistakes, but still was able to come out with an FCS victory. I think one of the biggest differences between, you know, this FCS game and the FCS game you were alluding to at Tennessee Martin is, you know, we played really hard and made very little mistakes and barely won that game. This team made a lot of mistakes and still won the game. So I think it's actually, you know, kind of more of a a positive feel knowing that we made all these mistakes. We didn't play our best version, but we could still go out there and win a game even when we shoot ourselves in the foot. So cleaning up the mistakes and being able to get that best version of themselves, being able to find that identity, I think that's a good thing that they can chase and something that they know they need to work on because, you know, even though they won, there's probably going to be a lot of review on that tape going back over things they need to fix. That's a phenomenal point made by RJ Hollis right there where, yeah, I mean, you tack on 11 penalties and three turnovers and all the mistakes that were made in this game on Saturday against Albany. If you put that on the 2016 bows against Tennessee Martin, that's yeah, not we a lose. victory. You're absolutely we right. Lose bad. Yeah, very good point there. Uh, let's go over some of the statistics before we delve deeper here into discussion about this Rainbow Warrior victory. Quarterback Braden Shager, 23 of 40, 266 yards passing, four touchdowns, three interceptions. He was sacked five times in this game. That's now 11 sacks over the last two weeks here on their home turf. Jordan Johnson, 11 carries, 76 yards. He was the leading rusher for this team who, for the first time this season, the Rainbow Warriors as a team go for over 100 yards rushing. Uh, Najee Bryant-Lalee, eight carries for 35 yards. Tylen Hines, four carries for 30 yards. His most productive game of the season. When you look at the receivers, Pofeli Ashlock, four catches for a team-high 74 yards. Stephen McBride, seven catches, 72 yards, and two touchdowns. Jonah Pinocchi had his first touchdown of the season. Jalen Walthall with his first touchdown of the season, two catches for 45 yards in the Highlight reel, one-handed catch in the second half of that ball game uh, that also had a backflip attached to it, which was quite impressive. Uh, it's probably the the play of the game uh, from a, a highlight standpoint. Uh, then you look at defensively, Peter Manoma, eight tackles and a pass breakup. Logan Taylor, who left the game with an injury, seven tackles and two tackles for loss. We'll talk a little bit more about Logan Taylor moving forward. Jojo Forrest, four catch, uh, four tackles, excuse me, with three pass breakups. And Ezra Avaimala with a big game, four tackles with two sacks, three tackles for loss for this University of Hawaii football team. All right, let's talk about what I feel is the headliner coming out of this game outside of getting a victory for the University of Hawaii. It's the penalties that continue to stack up for this Rainbow Warrior football team. 11 penalties against the Great Danes. And check this. That's now 29 penalties through three games. That ranks dead last in the nation. 29 penalties this season, more than any other college football team in America. Rich Miano, is that a lack of discipline? Is it a lack of focus? Is it bad luck? Or when you look at that lack of focus, lack of discipline question, I mean, which which one's worse uh, for it to be? Well, it, it, it's all of the above, Rob. Rob, you talked lack of focus, lack of discipline. And to me, it's a team thing, right? And it's the reflection of Timmy Chang and his staff. And when I say that, I watch practice almost on a daily basis. I see the coaches coaching proper techniques and discipline and being demanding of the little things, you know from Chris Brown's linebacker uh, group lining up the helmets exactly so that they're all exactly right next to each other. Cleaning the locker room when we interviewed Coach Chang on Friday, he had them cleaning the locker room to make sure they have a clean locker room because it, everything is important when you're, a, a not, when you're not a disciplined type of team. So to me, I'm going to you know kind of pound on this, and you guys know I'm the unofficial president of the Pita Manuma fan club. I also picked him for my preseason MVP right here on Hawaii football final, but three games in a row to have a personal foul. Andrew Choi, maybe one of the smartest cerebral players to ever play in this program. 
has a personal foul. You're talking about procedure penalties. You're talking about administrative things. You're talking about use lack you not using your time timeouts. You're talking about handing off a ball to no ball carrier. You know, you're doing things and then you see the magnificent back shoulder fade throws. Then you see Jay, uh, Jalen Waffle make a one-handed catch. You see the defensive line penetrating maybe the best that they played all season long and this defense becoming stout in the fourth quarter and finally getting turnovers. There's so many positive things, as RJ kind of alluded to, in terms of athletic potential. We were teased. We were salivating after the first game in, in Nashville against Vanderbilt. We saw some bright spots against Stanford. We expected them to be more dominant against the FCS team. And I'll be honest with you, I felt better after the loss than I felt after this win because of the lack of discipline. And I think that this has almost become something that is contagious, that I know it's just gnawing at Timmy Chang and the staff. And they got to get this ship right because if you do this kind of thing against a team like Oregon, you will be highly penalized. RJ, you've been playing football a long time. Have you, are, are there blue skies? Is it possible for blue skies out of this? Have you ever been on a team that, that was undisciplined, that kind of danced on the line of, of being chippy to being, um, you know, brutal at, at times. Uh, can you come out of this and, and, and learn from these mistakes? Um, or, or are we looking at a team that, that just happens to be undisciplined? This is a team that, that's somewhat out of control. Um, I think it's a possibility. And, uh, the possibility comes one of two ways, and I think that becomes a concern because you're either going to learn through your own lessons and through your own, hey, guys, let's figure it out. Let's become a better team and be less penalized and get it together, and you go out there and do that. Or a penalty is going to cost you an important game. A penalty is going to cost you a bowl contention game, a Mountain West Conference championship getting to game. A game that can put you over 500. A game that could be one of the wins that you got in the season because you lost so many games. So it just becomes what makes the players get in line to become less penalized. Uh, I think when, like I said, you just go and say, hey, guys, we need to play better. Hey, guys, we need to be more, you know, attentive. We need to use our head more. That's one thing. But that's just words. And I know that the coaches are already telling them to do these things. They're already trying to get them in line. What you don't want is to play a team like San Diego State or San Jose State and you get in that coin flip scenario and you finally get a stop on third down and somebody says something to somebody on the defense, they swing, personal foul, first down, they go down and drive, game's over. So it becomes what do you want to be that ultimate change that's going to have you being less penalized the blue skies are there but is it going to be blue skies after a cleared storm or are we just going to make our own good weather and to me that kind of becomes the question and more than that it becomes a question of who's the guy that leads that charge who's the guy that stands up with the shoulder pads and the helmet on and says we need to lock in says we need to not have the stupid penalties who is that guy because he's going to have to be the person that helps lead this charge to where we can get to blue skies without losing something important like a game. So I think it just becomes, it can be done, but which way is it going to be done? And the only other alternative to it not being done those two ways is continue penalties throughout the entire season. And if you're giving up 100 free yards, if you have more penalty yards in three games than you have rushing yards, which is what UH is at right now, they have more penalty yards than rushing yards it becomes impossible to try and get over that hump. So I think it can be done, and the hope is that it can be done by them just becoming more self-aware and fixing it that way over losing an important game or penalties just becoming a habit and a part of this season's identity. Hey, Rob, and yeah. Robin, all the years of coaching, and you know, how do you uh, penalize a, a, an athlete? You penalize an athlete. The only thing that hurts these kids is to 
make them stand right next to you, whether it's a series, a quarter, a half, a game. If you continue to make penalties that are hurting that football team and they're selfish, you got it. And I don't care who it is. And, and, and usually when it's one of your better players, it sends a message to everybody else. You're going to have to stand right next to me, buddy, for this first series of this Oregon game, because you know what? That's three weeks in a row. As good as you are, and it's going to hurt this football team, we need to send a resounding message that penalties and lack of focus, lack of discipline, whether it's effort, effort or whatever, it's not going to be tolerated. You know, it's interesting because uh, like you, you said you, you go to practice almost every day. I'm around this team a lot. And there seems to be, um, and, and, and this is going to sound crazy, but, you know, for a lot of these guys on this 2023 team, I mean, they're constantly watching videos. It's constantly in the meeting room of, of watching the golden era of UH football. It's watching when their coaches were playing, right? Chris Brown and Timmy Chang, and, and they emulate these teams that you were coaching, Rich, in, in 2006, 2007, and, you know, even before then. And, you know, so there there's a swagger that they're trying to emulate because, let's face it, they, they joined a losing program. And they are trying to fake it till you make it, right? And trying to to channel that, hey, we're the University of Hawaii. We we got the same green H and top of trim that those guys had. And, you know, the interesting thing is I remember at that time, June Jones would welcome the personal fouls. He would welcome the chippiness. He would welcome, quote unquote, even being punky sometimes, right? Because he felt, hey, if you could back it up, if you could pick those 15 yards up again, then feel free. Right. I mean, they would take personal fouls in the beginning of games and kick off, you know, uh, from 15 yards back because he knew that they'd back it up on the field. This team doesn't have that luxury. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So how do you find that balance? And I, and I understand it's a slippery slope of trying to channel that confidence and that swagger and that invincibility, but also keep into your mind that you know, we're not good enough to put ourselves 15 yards back at a time. How do you find that balance? Yeah, no, Rob, it, it is a fine, fine line. And when you ask that question to RJ, if you look at some of the great college football teams of all time, the Miami teams, the Oklahoma teams, they, these guys were beyond uh, swagger. These guys were so arrogant and so confident that they could afford penalties because it just riled up not only them but their fan base and their and their and their following but Hawaii's not good enough to be penalized eight times in the first half they're not good enough offensively to play behind the chains they're not good enough defensively to allow teams to continue drives because of you know selfish penalties so but I agree with you 100% we being from this island state need to have a swagger especially what happened to this program in terms of not having a stadium not having great facilities, not having great NIL money, uh, playing for the whole state, playing for Maui, whatever else. We have to prove that we can compete at this FBS level. So it is up to Timmy Chang, and I think he has that swagger. I think Chris Brown has that swagger. I think Keiki Misapeka has that swagger. I think a lot of these coaches feel good about their knowledge and where this program is headed. But you also have to kind of nip it in the bud. And again, I don't think it's going to be a season long thing because I think guys like Chris Brown, guys like Etienne, guys like Roman Sapolu are not going to put up with guys that do not follow their teachings. And trust me, they're not teaching people to hit with the crown of the helmet. They're not teaching people to anticipate, you know, snap counts so that they can get out there on that uh, speed rush as on the defensive end. They're not anticipate they're not teaching running backs going the wrong way in RPO type of uh you know play calls. They're teaching these are good teachers and, and they care about discipline, but they also know that to win and to believe in yourself, you have to have a swagger. So that's what's bothering and gnawing at Timmy Chang. You watched him in the post uh, press conference yesterday. I'll guarantee you all day today, this whole week, he's just going to be trying to figure out how do we execute at a higher level without hurting ourselves.
Well, believe it or not, but we're talking about a University of Hawaii football victory beating Albany 31 to 20. Uh, but like we talked about it is I think the expectations have risen. The floor has risen here because of what this program was able to show early in the season. And, and it makes that uh, a victory over the Great Danes uh, could somehow lead you more to the drawing board. And, and that's where they're at right now. And I think that is a good thing for the University of Hawaii football program who now stand at one and two on the season. All right, RJ, let's talk about the line of scrimmage, especially with the offensive line. Right now, the University of Hawaii has been sacked 14 times. And like we talked about with the penalties, that leads college football or however one you look at it, not leading, you know, leading college football makes it sound like it's a good thing, but it's yeah. dead last in college football as far as allowing 14 sacks on the season. What stands out to you as, as far as what's happening at the line of scrimmage here? Uh, you saw two times on Saturday that Timmy Chang rolls the dice in the fourth quarter an opportunity to bleed out the clock and really put that game away where you're up four points and, and it's a fourth and one. And one of the situations is fourth and less than one. And twice Albany wins that battle of the line of scrimmage stuffs Hawaii and gets the ball back. Luckily the UH defense saved the day and bailed them out of that situation. But what's happening with the offensive line here? How concerning is it? Um, I think it's, not extremely concerning at this point, but it can definitely get there. Um, make no mistake about it. Those were two stellar defensive ends for the University of Albany. Uh, in fact, one of them had four sacks week one against Fordham. Um, and even when we did our first week of Hawaii football final, uh, just like I said, filling the shoes of Ill Manning, of Austin Hop, of Michael Vanterpool. I mean, these are guys that even though they went out on a bad note, they played stellar offensive line. They kind of made it look easier than it actually was. And, you know, to be in the lead of letting sacks happen as an offensive lineman, you kind of got to take it personal. You know, we we talk a lot about football, you know, from the X's and O's standpoint of it, from the statistical standpoint of it. And, you know, one thing that I've always been known for is my passion and my energy. And sometimes I would think it would be misdirected or misguided. But now looking back at it, it was exactly where it needed to be, because in moments where you are at a fourth and one, a third and one, it's who wants it more. There's no other way to really draw it up or say it is really just about who wants it more. How much more am I going to want to protect the quarterback? then you're going to want to get to the quarterback. How much more am I going to run to run you off the line of scrimmage than you're going to run me backwards? And I think it has to be, you know, a, a little bit of what Rich was talking about earlier, trying to find, and actually what both of you were talking about earlier, trying to find that motivation to kind of bring the dog out, to bring the warrior out, to bring the beast out. You know, this is a physical, uh, grueling, violent sport in its natural nature so you have to have those aspects of your game naturally you can't be getting beat on fourth and one at home by an fcs team i mean it just can't happen because at the end of the day no fcs team should be able to show up on your turf and want it more than you no defensive end should be coming knowing he got to face rj hollis today and think he about to leave with four sacks it's not gonna happen and i don't care if you joey bosa if you taco charlton if you Kamale correa or if it's just a tuesday morning and you come on a padello you're not getting four sacks either so it kind of has to just be that that tick that that upper you know that that aggression that intelligent aggression that comes with being an offensive lineman where you go up you know what your assignment is and I don't care what color jersey you are I don't care where they're projected to draft you I don't care if last week you got 15 sacks on an all-american tackle you're not getting it on me and when we need fourth and one we're gonna get two yards every time so as much as it sounds like I'm trying to simplify it into being a dog and being aggressive Actually, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm simplifying it into being a dog and being aggressive. <laughs> I mean, it's the run and shoot. So the receivers and the quarterback have the concepts that they have to figure out in the passing. Yours is pass protection. So you got who you got. And then if it's running, it's the same thing. You got who you got. So when I know who I have and I know I got to get one yard, 
whatever it takes to make sure that my one yard is one, I'm going to do that. And a lot of times that's biting down extra on that mouthpiece. That's running out extra. That's violent hands. That's driving your feet. And that's just straight up disrespecting and dogging anybody that think they're going to stop you from getting one yard. So I think they got to figure out a way to, to pull that animal out, pull that nasty out and realize, Hey, you are offensive lineman, fella. You the most dangerous athlete in almost all of the sports that are non-combat. Figure it out and go out there and be the dominant team that you're supposed to be, especially on the offensive line. Hey, Rob, can I touch on that? Absolutely. Okay, so to me, and I, I love what RJ said, and I love his passion, and I agree with him wholeheartedly in terms of everybody needs to have introspection. But let's talk about a team thing, protection, right? So to me, in the offensive line, the most glaring position, and we knew this coming into the season, would be the tackle position because of Hawaii losing both uh, Il Manning and even though Michael Vanderpool was a guard, he was a heck of a football player, and then the other kid, Austin Hopp. But so, you know, that's a glaring weakness right now that can that will get better, right? But if you look at why Grayson Morgan didn't play this week is because his protection was bad last week against Stanford was one of the reasons. So you look at Solo Vipulu, he's he's decent at that H-back position or tight end position, whatever you want to call it. Why? But then the running backs were getting run over. You know, they're trying to take like a quarter of a man instead of a half of a man, and they're getting run over. And I know that's not standing well with Keiki Misapeka, right? But also, this time, Shager has to get rid of the football. And, you know, there are times when he just looks like an NFL quarterback you have to know where your check down is. You have to know on first down, sometimes you just got to throw it out of bounds. Also, play calling. Did you see Tua today? There's no situations where he's getting rid of the ball. There's somebody in the flat. There's a check down guy. There's always someone where he can get rid of that football and have confidence in the, in the play calling. So this is a team thing, the reason why we are worst in the nation in terms of protection. When you look at the fourth and one situations, right? We're adding bodies. We're adding tonnage. We still couldn't make one yard two times. We added Vipulu. We added Kamaka Vivioli. We added, you know, what they call quarterback wildcat power. We can't put any more bodies in there. And that's where you got to be nasty like RJ's talking about. you got to bend your knees. you got to bow your neck. you got to continue to drive your legs. you got to make one yard. And to me, Players need to execute that, even though they knew what Hawaii was going to do it because they've shown it three weeks in a row in terms of short yardage quarterback power. They still should be able to get one yard. When you play the Philadelphia Eagles, you know that Jalen Hurts is going to get pushed from behind and they're all going to be in all fours and they're going to get toe-to-toe stances. There has to be that will that's more important than the opposing uh, team. I just think that, man, RJ hit it the nail on the head but it has to come from each and every position group and also the coaching staff to solve this problem because you're not getting any new tackles walking onto the Manoa campus anytime soon. Running backs, you may get some help as, you know, Najee Bryant Lee gets a little more healthy. But you got to, I remember Tylen Hines last year, I thought he was pretty good back in protection because he would just cut guys and take them to the mat. We we got to get better. And I know it's bothering Timmy and Shager's got to get better and the coaching's got to get better. Let's talk a little bit about Braden Shager. I, I mentioned that he's been sacked 14 times and, and we look at the offensive line, as you just mentioned, it's a team wide issue as far as why this is happening. And, and there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle that need to be put in the right order in order for things to shore up. But uh, let's also look at the fact that Braden Shaker's been put on his butt 14 times, right? He threw three interceptions on Saturday night, and you can dissect each one, and one was tipped, one was a miscommunication with the receiver, and one, as Bryant Moniz pointed out at halftime on the Spectrum Sports broadcast, was a phenomenal play by the safety as far as just understanding what Hawaii was trying to do at that point and absolutely deked. Braden, yeah, he could have thrown it a little bit quicker uh, to to avoid that situation. Um, but really, I mean, credit needs to go to that Albany defense and especially that safety and Larry Walker Jr. for pulling off that pick six. Um, but with all that being said, this is a guy that's battled through the adversities, right? He's had the ups, he's had the downs. 
And he led the team to a victory on Saturday night, throwing four touchdown passes. And so what did you see out of Braden Shager in that situation? Because truth be told, it was the first time that we saw this season that he had himself in danger. He saw himself at the edge of the cliff and was somehow able to regain his footing and find himself finding the victory instead of getting the loss. Well, I, I, I don't know if you want RJ to go on myself, but let, let me handle this first, RJ. To me, Rob, you're exactly right. This guy has moxie. He has toughness. He has resiliency. And he never gets too high. And he seems like he never gets too low. But I do think, as we talked earlier in the broadcast, to have a little more swagger, continue to work on his leadership qualities, you know, whether that's in practice, be more demanding, because he should be able to do that. Because I'm telling you, those Back shoulder fades. That seam route to Jalen Wathel. There was he overthrew a couple deep balls, which is the first time he's done that all season long. But this young man has talent, and he's sliding in the pocket. He's doing some really good things uh, as well. And you got to remember, you just said it, Rob. I saw Timmy Chang go up to uh, 88 Morgan and say, basically, he's supposed to turn in, not out. Based on the split of the wide receiver, the leverage of the defensive back, he's supposed to turn into that football, and that's not an interception. The other one, there was an offensive lineman who bumped Solo Vipulu on the middle screen. That threw off the timing that got tipped up. And then you're right, safety made a real nice play, but I thought he held the ball a little too long on that one and kind of stared down that, that receiver. But you're going to have interceptions in this offense, but you're going to have four touchdowns too. And when you have a gunslinger like uh, Braden Shager, Man, we've got to appreciate it. we got to protect him. He's as tough as you're going to see. RJ, I want to talk to you about the receivers. And and this is a young group, and we've been talking about it all season. They talk about it, uh, about it themselves as far as every week is, is a, a chance to grow and every chance they do grow. And in this game, it's the first time that Pofeli Ashlock doesn't go for over 100 yards. But then you have Stephen McBride with two touchdowns. You have Walthall have his fantastic uh, play in that ball game. Jonah Pinoke makes his first appearance. And, and so, you know, there is the issue with the offensive line and, and the running backs not getting going and, and uh, almost being stuck in the mud a little bit as far as that running game goes. But how much is that offset by how much these receivers have been able to grow through three games of this season? Uh, it's it's done it's a great job of of carrying the weight for the offense. Um, it was like a few months ago I was uh out on the football field and Hunter Hughes was there. He was throwing with Jason Matthew Sharsh and Jason Matthew Sharsh was the fourth leading receiver on the 2019 10 win team. And uh, I was talking to him. I was like, "How does it feel to be the fourth guy to get a thousand yards?" He's like. I got 993. I didn't get 1,000. Basically, that to say, this is the type of expectancy you have as a wide receiver when you're in the run and shoot. That, they are dishing the ball out. It's going everywhere. For three straight games, Pafeli Ashlock and Stephen McBride have been receiver number one and receiver number two, respectively. So, for guys like Jalen Walthall to have the catch that he had and show that he's still a viable option. For guys like Kuala Nishigaya, for... for Alex Perry to step up. It's not only a good sign, but it is necessary. You're talking about the run and shoot where you're dropping back to throw the ball 40, 50 times a game. You can't do that successfully if you're only looking at two guys the entire time. So I, I think it's a, a going to be a big thing. I think it's going to actually even step up even more. These guys are going to explode even more, especially as they learn the run and shoot concepts as they get it. But so far, you know, the wide receiver core has definitely been the strength of this offense along with Braden Shager. Uh, still eager to see who's going to be those wide receiver three and fours because, like I said earlier, the last time the run and shoot got to explode and Jason Matthew Sharks had 993 yards, as he put it, and he was the fourth best receiver statistically on that team. So right now we know there's a Fafeli Aslock we know there's Stephen McBride who have definitely, you know, stepped up to be the number one, number two. But number three and number four are also going to have to be just as big as the Mountain West play comes in. So there have been a lot of glimpses of other guys that can, you know, go out there and do the job. But as we get into Mountain West play, 
I think somebody has to step up and take it. Somebody has to pull, you know, the Jalen Walthall one-handed catch with P.I. and follow it up with a backflip to let it be known that, hey, if Pafele Ashlock is not open, if Stephen McBride is not open, trust and believe, you can still throw it to me. So for that wide receiver core, you know, I think they should all be chomping at the bit to go take their moment, to go take their route, to go take their opportunity to be a part of that run-and-shoot history, which has been more than uh, friendly to wide receivers. And I think this is the wide receiver room that could get it done, and you got a lot of youth. So not only can you get it done now, but you can get it done for years to come. And in that same breath, I mean, you're talking about who rises to the top, who fills the void. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the injuries that the University of Hawaii is going through right now, because really, when you look around over the last couple of weeks, they're starting to pile up and and this isn't necessarily the kind of football team that can go through many injuries and still be who they thought they were going to be, um, especially when you look at Logan Taylor, at linebacker. Now, obviously, for everyone uh, listening to keep in mind, this is not the National Football League. And so um, there are HIPAA laws in place. And until the University of Hawaii and the student athlete is ready to come forth with the evaluation and with what the official injury is and, and the expectancy of how long they're going to be out. I mean, that that's, that's what you got to wait for. And so I imagine Tuesday, we'll probably learn a lot more. Um, it, it could happen later today, uh, but we'll see. But it, you know, the, the thought around the football field on Saturday night wasn't too optimistic for Logan Taylor, as far as him being uh, available uh, in the near future, um, you also add to him for Isila went down. Cam Stone got injured in the Stanford game. He did not play against Albany. Sergio Muasau injured now two times in, in three games. And so when you look at that, Rich, um, and uh, you saw in the Albany game where Nalu Emerson was called in, uh, Ezra Evaimalu started seeing more snaps. You saw Noah Kema be able to take advantage of a situation of him being on the field a little bit more how how ready is this team, you think, for reserves, for young guys to be tapped on the shoulder and say, get in there um, and and um, try to fill the void that's going to be lost? You know, Rob, it, it's a lot more ready than it has been in the past. The, the biggest problem I see when the injury report comes out on Tuesday, and I've been around this game a long time, and, and you know, I don't want to act like um, I'm a doctor. I slept at a Holiday Inn last night, but... I do think that Logan Taylor could possibly be lost for the season. And if that's the scenario, you're not only losing an inspirational leader, a spiritual leader, uh, the leader in the locker room, the leader at practice, the, the vocal leader. I mean, this guy has come onto this program, and I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen it, especially from a Howley boy who has the command and demands the respect out of every single football player on this team, and they give it to him because the way he practices, the way, the way he plays, the way he goes about his life, uh, you know, being a dad, being a mature, you know, uh, person. And so, so that would be a huge loss, Rob. But let's get to the positives on this. The positives to this football season is, is RJ and you are just mentioning how many receiver possibilities that are so much better than last year. We don't know if Braden Shager went down, how good that second guy would be at quarterback necessarily, but those guys got some time. They've, been in the system there's two or three four running backs we think that can play there's also I mean to me the most positive thing about this whole football game was the play of Ezra Evi Malo Daniel Sauce Williams for Oisila Anthony Sagapolutelli and Tariq Jones so the depth at D-line is never been better the linebacker you mentioned Noah Kemma well we didn't even see Jalen Smith who we all know can play and then when you look at the secondary Cam Stone goes down. I thought JoJo Forrest had one of his better football games. Coverage was phenomenal. 10 for 31 for only 130-something yards. Safety position. You know, we've already seen Justin Sinclair in there. So, you know what? It's next man up. At the same time, you know, you've got to, you know, continue to rep these guys and believe in what they're going to do because football is, as we know, is a very physical and violent game, and they're going to be injuries. And so far this season – there has been some bruises, some injuries, some guys sitting out, but there hasn't been any season-ending injuries. And so, therefore, we got to hope for Logan Taylor, pray for him, and at the same time, know that the next guy up is going to do a good job. 
Well, you, you just mentioned a bunch of guys that I think are candidates uh, when we look at our pride sticker here for this week, as we do every week. Just close your eyes and imagine there's a University of Hawaii football helmet, the one from 1992, may I add, the beautiful UH rainbow, and then you slap those stickers on top of them. RJ Hollis, I'm going to let you go first. When you look at Saturday's 31-20 win over Albany, this can be for a player, a coach, a member of the community, anybody. Who do you think gets your pride sticker? Oh, sorry. I, my mic was off. Uh, yeah, for me, I'm actually glad I got to get got to go first uh, because this is somebody that kind of exploded, was a surprise um, performer uh, on Saturday night. But I'm going to have to go with Jordan Johnson, uh, 11 carries for 71 yards, including that big one at the end. Um, not only did he step up and finally get this running game popping, which is something that fans, analysts, and coaches alike have all wanted to happen. You can't have the run and shoot without the run. Um, last season, Jordan Johnson had 12 carries for 69 yards for the entire season. And the first time he gets the opportunity to come out, he surpasses what he did the entire season in one game. You gotta, you got, you got to give respect to number eleven for what he was able to do. Najee Bryant Lee was able to come back from injury. Tylen Hines was already a favored running back that they wanted to get the carries to, but Jordan Johnson stepped up and took the moment. He took those yards. He took the carries, and now going forward, you know that you have to find some way to use number eleven in that running game because he has been the best rushing attack for these three games that we've seen all year. And this was a guy that only had 69 rush yards last season. So my pride sticker is definitely going to number 11, Jordan Johnson. That's a great one. Rich Miano, I see you right there with your 1983 helmet, the UH with the rainbow, with the Menehune flaming feet, stickers all over it. That's exactly what my visual is when we're giving out these pride stickers, my man. Rob, here's the deal, right? I don't want these listeners and these viewers to think that I actually wore this helmet. This was an old school helmet, bro. I'm not that old. And this was 83, but I also got 84 Warrior of the Year. So this is the Warrior of the Year, right? So these stickers, they mean something, right? That means you have to grade out well on defense, on special teams, on offense. And you know what? I'm going to give mine. And Ezra Evi Malo had the best game as a Warrior. He was impactful. But, you know, I got to dig deeper than that, right? And I mentioned some of those other guys. I mentioned Anthony Sagapolitelli. I mentioned Tariq Jones. I also mentioned Fa'oi Sila. But I'm going to give mine to Daniel Sauce Williams. And trust me, he didn't show up as much as some of these listeners and viewers and so-called trolls and, and people that <laughs> listen to a football final. But Sauce Williams was penetrating, and that's what disrupted uh, uh, the whole passing game, the running game. And I'm telling you, I can't wait to talk to Etienne because to me, Sauce was a force. I love it, man. I love it. I love the energy. I love the pick. I love everything about that last two minutes and 30 seconds of my life. All right. I'm going to give my pride sticker out to, you know, it's funny. I was going to mention um, Ezra Vaimalo, um, because absolutely the guy played fantastic. I was going to mention Sauce Williams. Um, but I, I knew that you guys are going to go first. I, you know, I, I kind of had to have a backup plan and I'm glad that everything worked out the way it did because that leaves me with Lahaina Maui's Carson Pupunu, who gets the block punt, sets the tone for that ball game. And I mean, you talk about someone that, that has fought through training camp and the emotions of everything that happened here in August on the island of Maui in his hometown of Lahaina. He lost an uncle and auntie and a couple of cousins to the Lahaina wildfire. I can't imagine what it's like for him to go through training camp, to go when classes start and having to focus on school and just go through the day-to-day -day in such a stressful time that it is in the fall uh, for a University of Hawaii football player, but then also have to go with the emotions of that um, I had the pleasure of talking to him a, a couple of times uh, since then, and, and he talks about, you know, being inspired and wanting to play for his family, wanting to play for the island of Maui. And you see him just grind at practice. You see him in the ball games, 
never giving up. You saw his first career reception is on pure grit and instincts where it's tipped off of Stephen McBride, I think it was, and, and into his hands against Stanford. And then you look at, I mean, Rich, you you can appreciate this more than anyone, the, the guts, the instincts, and the aggression that it takes to block a punt at the Division One college football level. And so uh, Carson Papuno gets my pride sticker. And, and I know, Rich, that, that, that it's someone that you are a big fan of. Yeah, and, you know, I look at that young man physically. He's a humble guy. He's a worker. He's got real nice extremities in terms of the ability to continue to get bigger, stronger, faster. He works at it. You know, he could develop even to like an H-back type of guy because he has that big, nice frame of his. But, um, yeah, Rob, there's a lot of guys that can get to the block point, but there's not a lot of guys that are going to take it off the foot. What he did was an art, was a science. I give Thomas Sheffield, they overloaded protection. But Carson Papuno, he showed out. And, you know, the game on crew, I think it was Jordan Helley picked him to be the player of the game. And that block punt to me has been the only explosive play on the special teams. And it really gave Hawaii some momentum because – Timmy Chang scripted those first six plays and they didn't go like he thought they were going to go. The offense started slow. That was the play that really got the crowd into the game, got the team fired up. And you're right. The Maui strong, the Lahaina boy. It's just Disney like, bro. And that's a good young man to represent Maui strong. Awesome stuff, man. I absolutely love it. All right. Hawaii football final continues with the Hawaii football final mailbox. Much mahalo to everyone that sent in questions. Uh, you could do it every week on my Instagram account, uh, at Rob DeMello. You can find me on Twitter, or used to be Twitter, now it's called X, at Rob DeMello, K-H-O-N. On Facebook, Rob DeMello, email rdemello at khon2.com. You can send telegrams and pigeons uh, to my office, whatever it is that you need to do to get me these questions. I am receiving them, I'm reading them, I'm trying to use them. And I got to say, we talked about the University of Hawaii leading the nation in sacks allowed, leading the nation in the most penalties. Well, the most kinds of questions for Hawaii football final in the mailbox this week were all about the penalties. And I know we talked about it a little bit um, here in this show. And so thanks to everyone that sent those in uh, because uh, pretty much I think everything that they asked and everything that they wanted to talk about as far as the penalties we've got to. So we'll move on to the, the, the next few. And uh, that comes from Caleb who's asking what can the university of Hawaii do to get more people into the stadium uh, there was just a little bit over 9,000 on Saturday. I mentioned in the Spectrum Sports broadcast, though, that despite it being less than 10,000 people in that stadium, the way it's constructed, I think the way that you're just on top of the field and the kind of people that are there, right? Because if you think about it, everyone that's there, you really want to be there because there are many things that are keeping you from that stadium. There's pay-per-view. There's the traffic situation. There's sitting for some on aluminum benches after years of of sitting in seats and bucket seats at Aloha Stadium um, and um it doesn't feel like 9000 it really doesn't that that place is rocking and and that and my children went to the game uh on Saturday and they told me that they had their favorite UH football experience of their lifetime 14 and 11 years old in this Saturday game that wasn't a great one but um with that being said RJ can you think of anything? Is there anything on, on your mind as far as how do you get more people there? How do you turn that place into a more rocking environment? Um, I mean, winning obviously cures all. You'll get a lot of bandwagons that way. Um, but I think just I'm trying to figure out a way to, you know, kind of appease to the people who wouldn't normally come. You know, like you said, Rob, if they were there, they wanted to be there. But now there has to be some sort of promotion some sort of advertising i mean don't get me wrong you know college football is a very exciting thing to be around but you do gotta find a way to compete with the beach compete with waikiki compete with you know just being able to go do all the other things you can do in town so you, you gotta find a way to to get a little extracurricular excitement in there maybe do something with the cakey you know maybe have a little seven on seven for kids or you know, whatever, but um, just a little something to kind of pep it up a little bit. But I think winning would be the easiest way to get more people in there. It was a good experience. My family actually came too. My wife had a good time there. 
Uh, my daughter was able to see her first collegiate football game. So I did like the setup. I do love that the games are at TZ Ching, but, you know, now that the marketing team and the promotion has to just go uh, a little uh, above and beyond to try and get some fair weather or, you know, just passing by fans to to fill up the stadium. Rich Miano? Yeah, Rob, you know, it's, it's a perplexing issue, right? You're talking about demographics that, you know, actually have gotten – that much older that the true Hawaii fan will still maybe go to Stan Sheriff because it's an indoor arena. There's no chance of rain. They know what the parking is going to be like. They know what the capacity is. They know they're not sitting on metal bleachers. But I think the marketing department, as well as all media sources, have to continue to let the fan that we've lost and gain new fans by talking about how good the food is, how good the entrance is to Israel Kamaka Bibiola's Hawaii 78, how good the uh, Tihati's production is, how good that scoreboard looks, the sound systems, you know, it has improved. The actual visual, the seat backs uh, and, and thousands of the seats, not all of them, whatever else, the luxury boxes are amazing. You know, this is the stadium that we do have at the state of Hawaii. This is our only football team and how important it is to remain an FBS member, to position ourselves for this ever-changing college football world. It requires, you know, it's, it's the simple old, how do I help the football program? Well, it helps by buying a season ticket it helps by buying a, a game ticket helps by buying pay-per-view but it is a good experience rob you're right when they reconstructed the stadium i mean those end zones are so close you're literally it's like arena football um when you see in that big scoreboard that's a division one type of scoreboard right you you've got you know some entertainment things that they've improved upon uh the venue itself can be a, a wonderful venue but people have to realize parking's not that bad. There's only 9,000 people there. They can handle that capacity parking-wise. They're working on all the logistics that may have uh, pissed some season ticket holders off in the past, where it's a much more pleasant experience. So we just got to continue to market this thing because these guys are going to put up some fireworks. I mean, they're going to score some points. It's not like it's three yards in a cloud of dust. There may be some penalties, some personal fouls, some things that don't look like you drew it up on the whiteboard, so to speak. But there's also some Jalen Waffle catches with backflips. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, I, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here. And, and I know a lot of people don't want to hear this because I hear a lot of conversations about what needs to be done and, I mean, let's face it, college football as we know it is different than it was in 1983 when you were the Warrior of the Year. And in 1992, when I was 10 years old and, I mean, just the the peak of, of my college football fandom of like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing that I've ever seen with my two eyes, right? You know, and, and we're going to see it if if it ever gets to a point where Oregon State and Washington State do level down to the group of five. You know, that that Pullman and Corvallis experience, as you know, it will change. And it's because of what college football has created. And it is that there are levels to this, that there is that top level of college football. And that's Michigan and Oklahoma and and Michigan State and, and these schools, LSU and Alabama. And then there's the next level. And that's Boise State and Fresno State and Hawaii. And and obviously, the more you win, the more your community is going to be interested and the more they're going to be engaged. But you know, let's face it. I mean, when you look across college football, I mean, go look at how many people go to South Alabama games or or go to Southern Miss nowadays, right? Southern Miss used to be, that used to be a place, man, uh, you know, in the 1990s, right? I mean, it is not anymore, right? It's because it's a group of five. And now if you put consecutive bowl games together and you have winning seasons, then you get a bigger and bigger pool but those days of 50,000 consistently or 40,000 consistently, they're just gone. And that's okay. That's okay, though, right? I mean, like, people shouldn't freak out about that. You have to evolve with the times. And this is just what it is. And so if you're getting nine to 12,000 people for a team that went 3-10 and 10 and was 0-2, Right. Heading into this season, that's that's a positive sign because there are a lot of group of fives that aren't getting that. Right. But if you can win and you can consistently win, that number is going to grow. And if they continue to expand, Ching, then the more you win, then the more those seats get filled. But 
you know, I, I, I just, I, I hear so much talk about a hey, 10,000 that's embarrassing. And you know what, in 2023, I don't know, man, like, I think you just have to reevaluate what the expectations are for how many people are going to games. And I'll tell you this, people are interested in university of Hawaii football. They still keep tabs on university of Hawaii football. And that is the most important thing. Right. Because when they start winning, then those people are going to come. It's when people don't care anymore. It's when I go and put gas and someone doesn't ask me about UH football, then that's when it becomes concerning, concerning because then there's just a disinterest and no one even cares anymore. So I'd say don't focus on the number right now. Focus on who you're getting in there, making sure that it's families, making sure that it's cakey, making sure that it's students, because when this team is winning, those are the people, that's the lifeline of your program. Because as you mentioned, Rich, you know, the people that were keeping this thing going in the 70s and 80s and 90s are no longer with us or they're no longer willing to go outside. Right. And so I, I just think that a lot of people just need to go into it when you go to the conversations of attendance and all that, just, just um, open your mind a little bit and, and think a little bit outside of the box. Yeah. Right. But I, I would like to say this too, because it's disconcerting to me that where were the students that were there on a Friday night? Sure. That was Stanford. It was a whiteout, but that was as good as a student section as I've seen in maybe 15 years, maybe 20 years, it was pumping. And then I looked over, I know there was precipitation. It rained prior to the game. It was on a Saturday versus a Friday night. I, I, I don't know, but I think there needs to be a survey among students of why there was such a heavy attendance. Was it because it was Stanford? Was it because it was the opening game? Was it because it was a whiteout? Whatever it was, we need to get that back. Students should want to come to each and every football game when it's on campus. So that's disconcerting. And then again, we all got to remember, and you mentioned this, Rob, we have been one of the losingest programs in the Mountain West Conference over the last decade due to some bad hires at the head football coach. But if we do win again, we can build this fan base up. But we've got to let people know now that it is an entertaining product led by a guy who's very passionate and cares so much about the state, a former great, a great one, one of the NCAA all-time greats, Timmy Chang, a local boy. How do we not support this program when we finally hired somebody that has the passion that bleeds green, that has surrounded himself with people that care? Right on, man. Well, uh, you know, we're running out of time. And so I'm going to, I'm going to, wrap things up with the final question it leads into what i wanted to talk about a little bit after the mailbox was over and that's what we haven't mentioned yet up next is the university of oregon 13th ranked team in the country who opened as 37 and a half point favorites against the university of hawaii uh yoda king has this question and i want to make sure everyone understands this that if you're listening outside of hawaii and you hear me say that yoda king sent in this message you're probably visualizing from star wars yoda right the yoda king no this is the state of hawaii people this is yoda king y-o-t-a toyota king all right yes so mahalo uh for, for yoda king for sending it in um but the question is uh plays oregon next what are the best teams each of you have ever faced against in your University of Hawaii career? And so obviously the 13th ranked team in the country, University of Oregon, um, that will be in the mix as far as some of the best teams that UH has ever played. Uh, UH, keep in mind, has played top ranked teams in the country on multiple occasions, uh, USC in 2005 and 2010. Um, but when you look at your playing careers, RJ Hollis, I'm going to let you go first. Who was the team that you walked out to that field and you're like, wow, this is a really good football team? Uh, Second, my first time ever going on an away game my junior year. Uh, we played the Ohio State, the Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Joey Bosa, Eli, Eli Apple, I think. Yeah. That I mean, that whole defense was almost first round. I believe they went to the playoffs that year in 2016. I don't know if they won the whole thing or not, but uh, yeah, that that first away game against Ohio State that was a that was a very talented team. Yeah, that's a good team, Rich Miano. Uh, who comes to mind? Nebraska, Dean Steincooler, Dave Remington, Mike Rogier, Turner Gill. Um, and a whole host of others in front of 50,000 at Aloha Stadium. But, Rob, 
You can't forget when I was a coach, we went down to Gainesville, Florida, where they filmed Swamp Kings, Swamp Dogs, Tim Tebow, <laughs> Percy Herman, and the boys. Swamp King Dogs. The Swamp King Dogs. <laughs> I love it. As soon as you said 2008, I was like, ooh, there's a segue to, to them Swamp Dogs. I love it. Yeah, you know that, that bro. Now, that's a, di that's a different number one. That Florida number one versus that Ohio State number one. That Florida, that Gators team was something serious. Yeah, well, this Oregon Ducks team uh, sets up to be pretty good as well. They they hung 81 points on Portland State earlier this season. They're 2-0 coming off of a big road win against Texas Tech. As mentioned, they're 37.5-point favorites against the Rainbow Warriors. But as Rich Miano likes to say, per Herm Edwards, you played to win the game. You got to play this game. And it will be on September 16th, this Saturday, at Oregon in Eugene. It will be televised on the Pac-12 Network, radio via ESPN Honolulu. Kickoff will be at 2 p.m. Hawaii time. Again, Rainbow Warriors 1-2 on the season now after picking up that victory over Albany 31-20 on Saturday. Much mahalo to everybody for joining us here on Hawaii Football Final. We'll catch you back next Monday. We'll be talking about that Rainbow Warriors and Ducks game and get you ready for a return to the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex after that as Hawaii will take on New Mexico State. But for Rich Miano, R.J. Hollis, I'm Rob DeMello. Much mahalo for the support, everybody. You're listening to Hawaii Football Final at KHON2.com. Anywhere you download podcasts. Aloha. Aloha.